All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're coming back to really verse 11. We started looking at verses 9 to 11 last week, and if you weren't with us, know that we've been looking at this text of Scripture for several weeks, and it's a passage about lawsuits. If you have your sermon notes in, in your bulletin, you pull them out and you read the theme. It says, believers are not to use the world's court system against other believers. That's the gist. That's what Paul is trying to say in verses 1 to 11. But as we come to verses 9 to 11, there's a text of Scripture that gets used in all kinds of different situations that are outside of lawsuits. Let me read. Verses 9 to 11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will, inherit the king, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Deceived nor neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And like I said, it's almost like verses 9 to 11 get often pulled out of the context And I don't want to say it's used inappropriately because often it's used in an appropriate way to show you that behavior matters. We know that you put the cart before, or the horse before the cart, that by faith in Jesus Christ, you become a changed individual. But then because you have faith in Jesus, you are changed and you act differently. And that cart of changed behavior follows your faith. Often we'll come to this text of scripture and we'll tell people, You have to understand, your behavior needs to change because God says that people who regularly practice these type of sins aren't going into heaven. And we often will use this text in challenging people who profess to be believers but still practice the list of sins that are here. And and so I recognize that, but then at the same time, because of the way I'm wired, I always got to say to myself, Please don't forget the context. The context is lawsuits. And just as a summary, Christians are not to sue other Christians in court. But it doesn't mean that a Christian couldn't have a suit against another Christian by bringing them before the church. That they should bring them before the church. Because if somebody does something wrong to you in the church, they shouldn't get away with it. It, it's, you shouldn't be someone that is like, oh, that's really great. That guy stole my car, but he's a fellow believer. Now, you might want to say, eventually, I'll let him have my car. But if, if, to the extent you can say, get back and pay me for that car or give me my car back, you have the right to do that. Okay? And so the, the, the reality of it is, is that we've got to understand biblically that Christians are to bring cases before the church when they have a dispute with another believer. But at the same time, too, recognize that Christians can sue non-Christians. They can't. You can go to the legal court system and because unbelievers aren't going to care what the pastor says or what the elder says. They're, gonna, they're just going to take advantage of you. And there are non-Christians that will lie. They'll get into a business contract with you and they won't deliver. And they'll feel like there's no force to make them do what they're supposed to do. Then you take them to court. Um, you know, and again, it's a challenge. If you want to say, no, I'll let them go, whatever the situation is. But the reality of it is there is nothing unbiblical, ungodly about taking an unbeliever to court. And so you have non-Christians, they'll walk out on deals when it's not to their advantage. And that's the challenge. You know, people do that all the time. I'll sacrifice as long as it's advantageous to me. Well, you know, I I sign up, I'm going to 
take $1,000 to paint your house, and I'm painting your house, and all of a sudden I realize, wow, it's going to take me three weeks. I thought it was going to take me a week. I'm not going to do the whole house. Well, no, you know, you're the one that bid on it. You're the one that made the, I'm the one who made the bid, the contract. I need to come through. I can't just walk out. And we can understand that's in all kinds of relationships. People just walk out when it's to their advantage. Well, Christians are supposed to be different. And, and the believer, the believer should sacrifice. And the believer should be people that don't cause problems. The unbeliever, they'll do that because that's their sinful nature. You look at verse 8. He says, on the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. And the Apostle Paul, we said that that is an expression. He says, you do this even to your brethren. You shouldn't do that. That's not what you're to do. You're not to wrong and defraud people. You were supposed to be different. But the implication is, is that the unbeliever, that's what they do. They wrong and defraud. Now, there's nice unbelievers. There's people that will be kind and gracious. But the general gist of the unbeliever is that they wrong and defraud we are to be different. That's why he rolls into verse 9. And he says, or do you not know? Remember that expression is used 10 times in 1 Corinthians. It's an expression like this was something that was really well known. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? God's kingdom is coming. It is not a spiritual kingdom that is here, okay? It is something that is coming. That's what this is referring to. And it is coming, and it's a future reality when God is going to rule and reign on this earth. And when he says in verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, um, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's like an incredible warning. Like, please, get your act together. And you shouldn't be the people who are causing problems in lawsuits and then beyond. That's really like sort of like this is why I say this verse goes beyond in the sense beyond just the context of lawsuits. And then we come to verse 11 where we're at. He says, such were some of you. And here it talks about the transformation that believers go through. Now, if you get the lights, I want to take you through a little slideshow, okay? And, and just remind you about the transformation that we go through. And I came across this illustration last week in preparation, and I thought, wow, I really want to bring this to you because it fits, I believe, very, very biblically, all right? And so here we start with a caterpillar, and we all have seen caterpillars. They're, they're kind of freaky, kind of. They feel if you, weird if you put them on you. But we know what a caterpillar does. It becomes a butterfly. And this is like the little process. They make this thing called a cocoon. And next thing you know, they burst out and they're flying. And it is a change, okay? The caterpillar is no more. That's the same being, okay? It's gone through this process of change, okay? The caterpillar is no more. So the butterfly is different than the caterpillar. Even though it's the same being, it is different. And caterpillars ate things. They would eat the green leaves. They would eat things like this. Butterflies drink things for their food. They drink the nectar. They're not like the, the same consuming of leaves in the same way. The butterfly is different than the caterpillar. The process for a butterfly going through this change is called metamorphosis. For the Christian, the process for a believer is called salvation. Now, this word is going to be used in Scripture, and we're going to come back to it, because God does use that in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. 
all right? And he uses a Greek form of this to express how we're constantly going through this. We're working out this change, this metamorphosis. So here's the thing. And I could have taken any picture, but I found this one picture of this woman. I thought it worked real well. We look the same on the outside. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, there's no change. Like, you know, you have a caterpillar here and then you got a butterfly here. You don't have that. You don't have a person, if this was a picture of a person prior to becoming a believer and now they're a believer, you see a little halo on top. You don't see that. Okay? When we look, we need a spiritual x-ray. And uh, if we can go inside you, could we even take an x-ray and see the transformation? And the answer is no. But the reality is God tells us the three results of salvation that happen inside to each believer. Our text goes through this. And this is what he tells us in this text. Number one, you are washed spiritually. All right, and we're going to go through the details. When you become a believer, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, there is a spiritual cleansing that takes place. Second, he says, you are sanctified. What in the world does it really mean to be sanctified? We're going to study that today. And then he says, number three, you are justified. And I'm hoping that you're like really wowed by my, my um, ability to make the little things go, you know. Okay, so I worked hard on that this week. I thought, well, let's give them something a little different. Okay, so three results of salvation that happen inside. And, and I don't know if you ever think about this, but this isn't going to be an exhortation like, I want you to do this. This is more like, I want you to understand what has happened to you, how you've been changed, okay? In Romans 12, 2, God commands us to live out our metamorphosis. It says, do not be conformed, but transformed. In Greek, that word transformed, if you go back in your own scriptures, it is the the word metamorphosis, from which we get our English word metamorphosis. And I thought to myself, well, wait a second. Shouldn't it say, you know, we've been metamorphosized, but be, it's sort of like, it's sort of be metamorphosized in the sense of you're transformed, you're living this out, what has happened to you. Live out the change. That's sort of the best way I thought I could explain it to you. Do not be conformed, but be metamorphosized. Be transformed as you feed upon the sweet nectar of God's word. And I encourage you to go back and read Romans 12, 1 to 2. It's a passage of great exhortation for us to be different. So let's look at the details of each result in verse 11. So get the lights, and we're doing this in preparation because we're gonna have communion here in a little bit. And God wants us to really think through, I think, where we really stand. So look at verse 11, and it says, such were some of you. Now, what, we're, what that past tense is inferencing is the fact that some of them practice those sins. And there are other sins that all of us could practice. All of us could, pra- could look back and say, boy, this was something I, I did, okay? And I was thinking this week there, there was something on Facebook and there was like, you know, there was like 20 items and they said, you know, you get a point for every item that you did. Like, you know, if you rode in a hot air balloon or, you know, traveled out of the country and blah, blah, blah. And people would put, you know, how many, out of how many things they, they didn't do. So if you didn't do any of those, you gave yourself a one. So I ended up with like a one. And um, some people had five and some of you had nine. 
here's a little little test okay so like you go through this and you say you know verse 9 you know was I someone that was a fornicator or an, uh, an adulterer, adulterer, or adulterer, or feminine, nor homosexual, nor a thief, nor covetous, or drunkard. You know, you give yourself a point for everyone you did. I mean, the reality of it is, is it's humbling that these were things that we used to do. And, and so here's the challenge when he comes and says, such were some of you, if you're saying, well, I'm a believer and I'm still doing these things, Ding, 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 ding. This is a problem because people who are practicing those things aren't inheriting the kingdom of God. So if I'm really a believer, the light bulb should go on and say, I better stop. I better not be known as a partier. I better not be known as someone that's practicing some type of sexual perversion. I better not be known as a thief or covetous person. I better not be known like that. I want us to look at this and say, wow. As I look at my life, because when we're going to do communion, if you're practicing something like this, then you need to call out and say, God, I'm confessing it. I need to change. Now, when we talk about ongoing practices, every one of us could probably say that even as living a strong Christian life, we could say there's part of these sins that, yeah, I did them before I was saved, but sadly, I've messed up since I've been a believer. I get that. I can say that. I can... (laughs) I could confess to saying I could have done some of these, but it's not my regular practice. And that's the key. You say, well, how much can I practice? Well, the goal should be that it's my desire to eliminate it. I want to be found faithful. I want this to be the regular practice of my life. So verse 11 says, such were some of you, but you were washed. And then here's it. You were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me hit that the name it's all because of the work of jesus everything that jesus represents you just don't say the name jesus the name represents all that jesus stands for all right when we close a prayer in the name of jesus it's because we're staying because of our relationship with jesus christ it's because of what jesus has done and his ability to save us that we have these results but it's also you look at the last line of verse 11 through the spirit the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, that brings these things about. And that's why they're invisible. That's why when I put up the skeleton, the x-ray that you saw, you can't see it because it's spiritual. These matters are spiritual. But there should be a reality, a recognition that these things have happened to you. Now, let's look and break each one of these down. You take your sermon notes, you can flip them on the back. And it's just, I want to give you two or three verses on each one of these so that you grasp and understand what's happened to you and why behavioral changes should be expected in you. So number one, number one, let's talk about being washed and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter three. Gospel of John chapter three. This is where it really makes its its clarity first and foremost, I think, in the New Testament. The idea of washed. And here we're talking about the idea of a bath, okay? And, and, you know, when you're a little kid, maybe you, you didn't like bass, and then somewhere along the line, you, you found you can bring all your toys in there, and you get cleansed, and you like it, okay? And then maybe as an adult, you know, you're, you're taking showers. The idea of getting clean is so important, and Jesus himself, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, says this. Verse 3, when he has this discussion with Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's a spiritual rebirth that needs to take place. 
Okay, well, what does this have to do with washing? Nicodemus comes about and says, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he, can, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What do you mean, born of water? Well, as Jesus will go on and talk about, he'll challenge Nicodemus that he should have understood this. The idea of a spiritual cleansing that needs to take place through the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus comes down and says to Nicodemus, he says, verse 10, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? I believe this was rooted in the Old Testament. And this is a passage I've shared with you before, but I want you to have this down. Turn back to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, where Jesus, I believe, is pulling from. The book of Ezekiel is one of those big, old um, Testament prophets that sometimes I know you get lost in. And, and, and especially when you start getting towards the end, when, Nick, when Ezekiel is going to get into the whole temple, all the details, um, you, you can get lost in here. But you have to understand the context is still critical for us to understand because the prophecies of Ezekiel are, we're still waiting for them to be fulfilled. And, and part of them have already come to fruition. Ezekiel is prophesizing when Israel has been totally unfaithful to God and God can say, I'm gonna walk away from you. I'm not gonna be there for you. But then he says, look, for my name's sake, I am going to come through because I gave you promises and the promises I gave you aren't dependent upon you, they're dependent upon me. So look at verse 24, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24, and he says, for I will take you from the nations, nations that he scattered them from around, I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will what? Here's the water part. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. I believe when Jesus Christ dies and pays the penalty, this enables this to, be, to begin this process where God is going to be reaching the entire nation of Israel. We know that this was the first step Israel will eventually be all reached. I truly, truly believe that. And Israel still has a future. But we are participating in this blessing right now. The church is participating in it. And, and the, the promise isn't about being baptized and being cleansed. It is about a Holy Spirit coming in you. And when you become a believer, there's a spiritual cleansing that sin is washed away. The way you used to think, the way you used to be processed things, it's changed. Let me just take you to one last passage. The book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 5. Okay? So Jesus has said, as you're turning there, in the book of Titus, I want to hear pages turning, turn, 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 please turn. Titus, chapter 3, verse 5. The, the, the apostle Paul in writing Titus, one of the pastoral epistles, I believe puts this all together and he's telling them, telling them about salvation and he says in verse five, the book of Titus, New Testament, he says, verse five, he saved us, speaking about God and Jesus, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. There's a re washing 
and a regeneration causing you to be born again that happens simultaneously, not a part, not a process in that sense, when you become a believer. And so when the Apostle Paul tells us that we are people who have been washed, we've got to recognize that there's been a spiritual change that has taken place inside of us that gives us an orientation that makes us no longer want to play in the dirt. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I know as a father, one of the hardest things, and my, well, my wife should be really here, um, <laughs> would give a little kid a bath. You know, why do we give the kids our baths at night? Because you, you bathe them at night because you can quickly get them in bed. <laughs> You throw them in bed. Because if you give them time, what do kids do? They get dirty again. And, 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 and so, you know, there's a sense we want to keep our kids clean. Well, I'm not going to have you turn there, but isn't it interesting on the last night of his life, and it gets interesting with the whole dispensational aspect, that Jesus talks to his disciples and tells them they've already been cleansed, I believe, as believers. But he says then they need just the foot washing. And he uses that as, a, as how they continually need to rely upon him. Well, listen, you must recognize and think about the standpoint that you are someone that's been spiritually washed from sin. There's, there's been a regeneration that's occurred because of this washing. And because of that, God expects you to act differently. He expects me to act differently. Second expression he said, you were sanctified. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want us to think about this expression. To be sanctified means to be made and declared holy. This is where we are to think of ourselves as saints. Um, I, I saw a church that talked about our church is filled with saints. In, in essence, they were in essence saints. And they're true. If you're true, truly a believer, you are a saint. You are set apart. You're a holy one. Okay? Look at chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse um, 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Saints by calling. What do you mean we've been sanctified? God sets us apart. There's, and I'm trying, I was trying to think through the significance of this expression. What does it really mean to be sanctified, to be set apart? When, when we sanctify something, you can have, you can have two things. Like if I had, um, I should have had like two pieces of paper. Let's say I have two cups. If I had a cup and I'm saying, well, I'm going to use this in communion, all right? I have two cups, and I say, well, this is going to be a communion cup. This is going to be ordinary use. This one's going to be set apart, and we're always going to use this for communion. Well, it's sanctified. It's set apart, okay? There is a sense where God says the way he looks at us is that we are sanctified. We've been set apart. Look at um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. I think this was an interesting concept here, all right? In Ephesians chapter 5, Verse 26, you should say, wait, Ephesians, isn't that the passage about how husbands are to love their wives? Absolutely. But it's in through that passage we get a lot of insight into how God operates and how the Trinity operates. And so verse 25 of Ephesians, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So what? So that he might sanctify her. He might set her apart. How does he do it? Having cleansed her, there's that water concept again the spiritual cleansing, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So as the word of God impacts us, 
it, I believe it works through our mindset that we are to be thinking differently and that God has set us apart. We are people who now think differently because God looks at us differently and he's influencing us to think differently through this process of sanctification. And, and so God wants his church to be set apart. He, and so just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, and so he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, how does it work that we're actually set apart? Do I have a different brain cells? I don't think it works that way. I think it's working now with the Holy Spirit working in my mind that God constantly reminds me that I've been set apart, that I'm think, I am to think differently, okay? My heart is as we've been talking about in one of our studies, it's my mind, it's the way I think. God has given me this sanctification, a set-apart nature. Turn over to one other passage, 1 Peter 2.9, um, book of 1 Peter. So you get Hebrews, James, and then the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. And uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Okay, As the apostle Peter is writing to the church, um, and he's writing to people who had a Jewish background, interestingly enough. And the challenge always in First Peter is, is he just talking to Jewish Christians or is he talking to Christians? And, and we are all to realize all the incredible blessings, aspects, I think, that we're getting as, as Christians under the Jewish blessings. He says, you are a chosen race, verse 9, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people for God's own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You've not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And the idea, without using the word sanctified here, is that we are now looked at as different. We are now looked at as different. And God has chosen us, and, and he has set us apart so that we can be used for him. And so... When you look at your life and the way you interact with others, you should be thinking, God has sanctified me. He has set me apart. He's got a different purpose for me. And I've got to fulfill that. So there's a sense of, I've been washed, I should be different. I've been sanctified, I should be different. And then lastly, I want you to look at this expression, to be justified. What does it mean to be justified? Romans chapter 3, verse 26 the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 26. Um, the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 26. The Apostle Paul is ex- discussing sin, and he's discussing where we stand spiritually because of faith in Christ. And he says this, um, for when God, well, I want to pick up verse 23. For all sinned, all fall short of the glory of God, being justified, being being justified as a gift, we're justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. And you can star verse 26, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just, okay? He's fair and he's done the right thing because he had to punish sin but he punished Jesus, and the justifier, he's the one that declares us righteous based upon the work of Jesus, of the one who has faith in Jesus. So he's just and justifier. So 
here's this concept that we are now considered just before him. And I want you to roll over to just the fourth chapter, verse 25. So as the Apostle Paul uses this entire chapter, Romans chapter 4, to talk about how baptism doesn't, I mean, circumcision doesn't save, and it's all about the fact that faith alone saves, he wraps up the chapter and he says this in verse 25, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with the mind, no, I'm reading the wrong verse, 425. He who delivered over, he who was delivered because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. So Jesus was delivered over to pay the penalty because of our justification. What do you mean? Did we earn that? No. He was raised to show that, the, that we are declared righteous. Jesus resurrected. We are going to be okay. It's like I'm excited because, because Jesus is resurrected. It means that what he accomplished will be effective for me and that I am not. And if I am now right with God, I can be someone that lives rightly. I'm, because I'm being set. And, and I think that's critical for us to say today because the reality of it is, is that when I recognize that I'm okay with God, I recognize that I can always come before him. Because if I'm justified, then no matter what I do, I can still come before God because I'm right with God. I want one last passage. Turn to Psalm 32 because I was reading it this week and I thought this really hits with this passage. And for those of you who know your scriptures, you say, wait, Psalm 32, isn't that the big sin passage where David confesses his sin? And I think this is absolutely important for us to understand. If David was somebody who was a man after God's own heart, was somebody that murdered somebody and i can tell you i've never done that and david was somebody who committed adultery and that is vile and i've never done that all right and and i know that some of you have practiced some bad sins in your life and there's other things i've done that are bad okay i I get that but if i would have done any of those things as a believer there would be a sense like you know maybe i really am I'm not, I'm not right with God, and I'm not good with God. And David goes through this psalm, and he says, look, in verse 1, whose sin is covered, meaning that he's been justified, that, that he's been made okay, his penalty's been taken care of. It's a legal declaration, all right? I mean, David was still someone, he had done this sin, but the reality was, as we go through this, look at verse 2. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity because he's been declared righteous. That's the essence of being declared righteous and who, in whose spirit there is no deceit. And he goes on. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Why? Because he was justified. He was one of the great realities that we have as believers because we recognize I've been set apart and even when I sin, it's not gonna wipe away my relationship with God. I'm not gonna all of a sudden lose my salvation. Can you understand the horror you know, of people who think if this just reprehensible that people are teaching that and 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 i never want you to think that if you're born again you've been washed you've been sanctified you know that you're a again believer then you are someone that has been justified and when you sin you can confess it 
And verse 6, therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. What do you mean? If I'm godly and I'm right, how important it is for me to confess my sins? Because God does bring discipline even though you've been justified. And so he says, surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. Because if all of a sudden God brings judgment upon you, it's like a flood is coming to you and there's nothing that can be done. So God is saying, call out to God when you still have time. Get your life right with God in practice because you need to, if you are godly, confess your sins. And he goes on, verse seven, you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Please remember, this is a murdering, adulterous person. This is somebody that, my goodness, if I came to you and said, look, I want to be your pastor, you know, I've only killed one person and I've only, only had one or two affairs on my wife. You know, let me be, you got to be kidding, Mike, right? But this is the man that God puts up after the man, after God's own heart, David, who's gone through this so that ultimately we would see, I believe the depths of justification. I I, I asking, why would God allow David to go through this and be someone that can talk about his position with God and his, his good standing with God? David, what you did was vile, David, what you did was reprehensible. I mean, if I did, I wouldn't want to consider them someone that's my friend. But my goodness, if David was my friend, I'd say, wow, this is really great because it's King David. And, and the reason we understand that David is, is, is so special is psalms like this. That a psalm that reminds us how good the, the iniquity. God is the one that looks at it and says, I'm forgiving you. I'm canceling the debt. I look at you as righteous. And so you go through this and look at verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. That word loving kindness comes from a Hebrew word that I've asked you to just absolutely Hebrew word that means uh, it's a hesed. It's, it's a word that is so broad that sometimes we say there one or two English words can't even de- define it. Because the ongoing mercy and grace and love that God gives to people, okay, it, it's His loving kindness that surrounds you, surrounds you, the sinner, vile person, because it's not you that makes you justified it's god who was the just and justifier romans three twenty six, and so verse 11 be glad in the lord and rejoice what you righteous ones the word for justification in the greek word the greek word that is translated righteousness it can i mean justification is, is often also translated righteousness so he says be glad in the lord and rejoice you you can say you justified ones you who are just upright in heart david how could you be upright in heart you're a a vile wicked murderous person because of his faith in god and david had faith in god and romans chapter 3 talks about how god was looking forward and passed over the sins when he would make it effective what he did for david and what he did for us and so with all that in the mind, back in your minds, I want you just incredibly, you never lose this position. Be so thankful that God has justified you and that we are declared justified. It is no small thing. I, the more I think about it and the more I sometimes want to beat myself up about my own sin, it's so critical that I come, come back and I can hold on to the concept. I am justified. I am right with God. And therefore, no matter how much I mess up, I can call out to God because he's going to be there for me. 
And I hope I can hear amen. Amen. So turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6. And let me just wrap this up. So my heart's desire is for us to understand as the Apostle Paul wraps up these things about lawsuits. Remember, he doesn't want to have people have lawsuits. He wants us to recognize we've been changed. We're like the caterpillar. We're now the butterfly. Live like the butterfly. Be practicing your metamorphosis. You are different. So verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Why? Because of your good deeds? No, it's all because of the, in the name of our, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, Master, Jesus, human, Christ, Messiah, okay? I always want to remind you those. And in the spirit of our God, God's spirit, God the Father sends the spirit. We learned in John, Gospel of John chapter 15 and 16 this past week. He is invisible, but he's worked in us and he's washed us, he's sanctified us, and he's justified us. Just revel in that. But also, because you are the butterfly, live differently. Let's pray. Father, how I pray that we are people that as we've thought through these technical positions and what they've done, God, I wish I could look inside a, an x-ray of every individual and say, you see, you see the new heart? You see the way this has impacted your brain? But I can't. It's a spiritual matter. But I got to believe that there was some type of spiritual cleansing that went through every one of us who are believers. And every one of us who have been believers have been somehow set apart. And we know your word does it, but there's a sense where you have sanctified us. And it's a declaration, but also there's been an impact that has worked through our mind and our behavior should change accordingly. And that God, you want us to recognize the legal declaration that has been made. There's nowhere in my heart I can see a stamp, justified one. But I believe you. I believe that I've been declared righteous before the throne of God and that everyone who is a believer here has had that same declaration. And because of that, God, the expectation to not be the fornicator, the adulterer, the effeminate, the homosexual, the reviler, the, in essence, the party animal, you have told us to stop it, not to be covetous, And I pray, God, that even today as we reflect upon our lives and reflect upon our behavior, if there's any of us that are seeing ourselves have sins and some of the sins that weren't even listed, that we'll confess them because you do work in us, God, and we can confess them and trust that you will continue to strengthen our walk. Thank you, God, that you've put this passage in a way that challenges us Help us not to be people who cause lawsuits. Help us to be people who don't wrong and defraud our brothers and sisters. Help us, God, to not act with wrong behavior. And that's the expectation you have here. Amen.